am I ready to move beyond my personal issues towards forgiveness? This is skill number seven, willingness to resolve. It's from the book Everyone Can Win, about handling conflict constructively. Willingness to resolve is sometimes all you need in order for the conflict to dissolve. Can you remember a time when you were so hurt or angry or resentful that you didn't want to fix the problem? Perhaps there's someone in your life right now who angers you so much you'd really rather have nothing to do with them. What stops you from wanting to resolve such a conflict? Are any of these relevant? How unfair that person's been. How bad their behaviour was. Your own need for self-respect. Oops, or is it pride? Are you still justifying that you were right and they were wrong? Do you need an apology first? Do you see your revenge as restoring some sort of justice in the situation? Are you too deeply hurt? Are you just too angry to even think about forgiving them? Or perhaps your resentment is so old and deep that you wouldn't know how to let it go. There are benefits in all these positions, our good reasons for not letting go. However, becoming willing to resolve is a key step in conflict resolution, and sometimes it's all you need to find the way through. It's not always easy to get there. To do so, we'll need to understand the benefits to us in hanging on to the problem and then move beyond them. For example, by keeping our distance, are we avoiding a difficult issue that we just don't want to know about, so we're tempted to leave the standoff as it is? Willingness to resolve can begin with us taking a quiet moment to explore our payoffs in not resolving it, and then compare it to the payoffs if we do solve the problem. These might include relief, deeper understanding, definitely feeling better about ourselves, and perhaps some new perspectives. You might move closer to the other person, but then again it might already be a finished relationship. You might have already avoided the other person for years, but if you haven't handled your willingness to resolve, you're actually still connected to them. There are strings between you both that still pull and sometimes yank you around. Dealing with your unwillingness to resolve can bring real completion to a finished relationship. But for things to change, first I must change. Doesn't have to happen face to face, but it does require an internal shift. How might we get there? Hurt and anger are like two sides of the one coin. We'll often resist examining the underside. To come to a place of peace if we're still angry, we might need to experience our pain. And if we're still hurting, we might need to find our anger. Is it hiding in cold spite or resentment? There is a grim satisfaction in being very cold to people whose values we deeply disagree with. 
But have we oversimplified by pigeonholing them as the baddie? Can we acknowledge the other person's full range of qualities, including the good? If we can, we soften our resistance to their viewpoint, even if it isn't our own and never could be. Sometimes it's difficult to admit that we too have a part in the conflict and that we've put some logs on that fire. No matter how right we think we are or how terrible they seem, we are part of that scene. Maybe we handled the situation badly or treated somebody with a lack of respect or hurt someone so much that they felt they had to retaliate. Can we concede our faults as well as theirs? My own overwhelming and quite unthinking need to rescue has robbed more than one person of their self-respect around me. I need to acknowledge my deep regret in causing another person that sort of pain. On our way to becoming willing to resolve, we need to recognise how we've hurt the person. Our apology might be another step towards our own forgiveness of the way they've wronged us. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Would I rather be right or happy? How important is being right compared to resolving the problem? Sometimes we keep hammering away at the point to defend our position or our actions. Maybe we can't see the cost of hanging on to our position so hard, and that cost might be financial as well as emotional. It might be better, and better late than never, to just get off it. It's not giving in. We're just not justifying that stance anymore. We're closing the debate. Your willingness to resolve says, You believe this? I believe that. I'll do what I have to. You'll do what you have to. So be it. People caught up in resentment are often defending against a blow they feel that we've struck to their self-esteem. They'll sound self-righteous, while underneath they feel rejected or betrayed. And they might be quite vicious in their self-defence. If you can see through to what's really going on for them, you might begin to see them more as mistaken or vulnerable rather than malicious. Seeing through their aggressive facade makes it easier for us to forgive them. When I forgive, I free myself. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. If someone's hurt or offended you, you're unlikely to forget it. If you've been abused, of course you never will. The best you might ever achieve is to be able to understand what motivated them. Look without emotions at the flaws in their character and forgive them for not knowing or being able to do any better. We move then from how dare you, you should not have, to you did, that was so, I fully acknowledge my own pain, and now I'm moving on. That way you free yourself from continuing to suffer. Until you do, you remain trapped by the other person's offensive behaviour and it will continue to hurt you. Certainly, you'll never want to put yourself in that same position again. 
once you've forgiven them, it's much easier to make wise decisions. Perhaps you'll find some other strategies to sort out the issues between you. Or you might want to limit how and how frequently you relate to them. Perhaps you'll decide it's best to close down all contact. Ending a relationship because it's not healthy or supportive for you is quite different from ending it out of anger and resentment. Forgiving is really up to you alone. It can't be dependent on the other person. After all, the other person might believe they've done nothing wrong or they may not even be accessible to you anymore. We cannot wait for them to change. Sasha told me this story. She was well in her 30s and she was desperately wanting to marry and have children before it was too late. And she'd had a what she thought was a very successful two-year relationship with this guy. And all of a sudden, he announced that he wasn't able to commit to a future with her. Well, she was absolutely devastated and furious. She'd invested two years and all her emotional energy into that relationship. And months later, she was still waking in the middle of the night and rehearsing all of the things that she wanted to scream at him. And one day in tears, she confided, I wish I could forgive him and move on, but I'm so angry, I just can't seem to let go. Well, Sasha was in fact taking a first step towards forgiving him. She was getting clear that she was willing to become willing to forgive him. Primarily, she wasn't taking this first step for him. She was taking it for herself. The alternative, staying locked in her pain and anger, was actually excruciating to her. Stephanie Dowrick, in her book Forgiveness and Other Acts of Love, writes, Let's suppose those first acts of forgiveness go something like this, forgetting about the matter for some of the time, not actively wishing the other person harm, feeling that you're able to be patient with yourself, wanting forgiveness to come and waiting for it may be all that you can do. The process of assimilating our scars may take months, years, decades. The original events will not have changed, but you will. Forgiving the other person hasn't got a lot to do with the words we say. In fact, we might not say anything at all. Forgiving is a shift in attitudes. It arises from inside ourselves. It's an inner shift that comes from the heart. Of course, we won't come to this acceptance right away. We do need time to withdraw, to incubate, to get angry and allow ourselves to experience our pain. That's how we heal our wounds. And we might not be able to shorten this natural process. Although we might not condone the other person's actions, we might be able to accept that we all have imperfections and we've got faults and sometimes they're major ones. They come with being human. It can help to try to understand what motivated them to do as they did. 
Sasha needed to take account of the reasons behind her boyfriend's inability to commit, since the weight on him of his history, it was of abandonment. His rejection of her actually had very little to do with her. Though her desperation to have a baby did play a part, her body clock was ticking away and that was something she just had to accept. It was a given in the situation. I know of family members who have maintained a standoff of mutual resentment and haven't spoken to each other for 20 years. Neither will accept an invitation if they know the other person will be coming. Each is waiting for the other person to make the first step. They think they're cut off from each other, which is what they want, but their mutual resentment locks them together, both emotionally and energetically. It's a sad irony, really. As long as we say, I can't let go until they do, we're still locked into them, whether the other person is physically present or not. Your forgiveness frees you. Sometimes your changes may free the other person to change too, but most important, you're no longer locked into the past. Our relationships are constantly changing and that changing relationship changes us as well as the other person. I think Leong's story demonstrates some of this. I met him some time ago. I remember he told me this. He'd moved to Australia mainly to escape an impossible relationship with his mother. Over the years, they'd had some fierce scenes and very bitter feelings. He was the second son in the family, and he didn't think he'd been as clever at school as his older brother was. And he felt his mother always compared him to his brother and that he, as second son, was second best in her book. For the last 12 months, they hadn't even spoken to each other. One day, in a personal development workshop, he unlocked some of his resentment about all this. I remember it was a very significant shift for him. He stopped defending against his mother's disappointment in him, and he let his pain and his anger about all that just be so for him. He then saw that she had been trying to help him, she just wasn't doing it very well. He arrived home late that night, and within minutes, his telephone rang. It was his mother calling him from Singapore after a year of not talking. Now she was ready to talk again. Normally, he would freeze up on her, but his recent insights helped him to accept the love that she was trying to offer. Why did she ring just then? Had she intuitively responded to the work that he'd just been doing on himself? He had let go of his anger. Something had changed when he changed. Informed or inflamed? Have you ever noticed that a particular person or a characteristic about them really annoys you? but it doesn't really seem to annoy other people. 
Have you watched someone else get really irritated by something that doesn't particularly distress you at all? Our negative views and strong reactions are usually filtered through our pain or anger that's locked away deep inside us. We're looking out at the world through coloured glasses of rights and wrongs and likes and dislikes and past experiences and our upbringing. We can see the distortion when others' reactions are more extreme than the situation seems to call for, but when you're the one who's furious, it all seems perfectly justified. There may be somebody in the office who talks a great deal about themselves, and others in the office may simply think, oh, there she goes, showing off again. I wonder why she needs to do that. They're not unduly influenced by unconscious prejudices, though they may disapprove and even express their dislike for how much she talks. But a woman who grew up under the shadow of a more attractive and outgoing sister is absolutely hooked by the situation. It plays in on her unresolved jealousies. She can't stand how the office chatterbox behaves. The situation inflames her rather than informing her. And this offers us a very useful rule of thumb. We can ask ourselves, am I informed or am I inflamed? When a situation inflames or angers you, it's telling you as much about you as about them. When your response is relatively free of undue negative feelings, the situation's merely informed you about the problem. And if that's the case, you've only got the difficulty itself to deal with. Whenever you're inflamed, ask yourself, why do I respond that way? The more someone irritates you, the more you know you have something to learn about yourself. Unexamined anger blocks our willingness to resolve. And we'll find it easier to let go once we understand some underlying fundamentals, in particular, unconscious projection. Projection occurs when our own unconscious thoughts and feelings appear to us to be lodged in the minds and the behaviours of others, not ourselves. We push something out of awareness and we see it instead coming towards us from others. Many conflict situations will present us with an opportunity to examine our own projections. Some psychologists find it useful to work with the idea that we're a complete package of human characteristics, the full spectrum of human potential, the good, the bad and the ugly. Our upbringing allows us to be conscious of only one part of it. The famous psychologist Dr. Carl Jung used the word persona to describe those conscious aspects of personality. Whether we judge these aspects as good or bad, the significant point about our persona is that it's known to us. It's made up of things we accept to be true about ourselves. The persona is our self-image. Jung used the term shadow to describe the unconscious parts of ourselves. There are many parts to it, and what I'm about to list is only some of them. It includes our desires, our feelings, intentions, abilities, and beliefs. 
It's the potential that's not unfolded, aspects of ourselves that we're not ready to know about, our emotional responses that are too painful to fully experience. And it includes the opposite of all of our conscious wants or dislikes and values. It includes to our abilities or talents that we're not ready to accept or to express yet. Few of us acknowledge all the bad things about ourselves, and few of us have enough self-esteem to acknowledge all the good. Positive or negative, when they're not accepted, these aspects become part of the shadow side of our personality. A shadow follows us around. It shows up, but indirectly. Our unacknowledged anger can work like this. We accidentally spill tea on the person we're angry with. Consciously, we certainly didn't mean to do that. Or we may inadvertently comment how we hate red on the very day that the person that we dislike is wearing that colour. Our aggression may be passive and quite unseen by us, but we're expressing it by ignoring or excluding or avoiding someone in particular. Others might be much more aware of our repressed feelings than we are. We often have a very misleading self-image. We think we are kind, while unconsciously we're being cruel. There is an aggressive element in all of us. It's much less dangerous when we let ourselves be aware of it and examine it when it's been triggered and then hold it in check with all our other caring, ethical and law-abiding qualities. When you're inflamed rather than informed, look within. You're probably caught in a projection from your shadow. It's an opportunity to become more aware. So, consider its hook, the symptom, and the projection. Let's go into these. The hook. The behaviour in the other person that's inflaming you. In itself, it's a neutral event, though you're not feeling that way about it at all. It may be something they said or did that draws your anger, or it might just be a mannerism or a style of relating or repeated behaviour that just rubs you up the wrong way. Whatever it is, you've been hooked, like a fish. The symptom. That's your own high emotions, usually variations on anger and hurt. And then there's the projection, the unconscious material, your shadow. That's what's causing this strong reaction in you. And it's the bit we want to look at really carefully. It can help you to break free of the projection if you name the part of the behaviour that's particularly inflaming you, the hook, and describe it in as neutral a way as you can manage. They didn't want to go on holidays with me. or. They didn't speak to me at the party, or they said my report is sloppy. The hook might be just a particular look in the other person's eye, an innocent gesture or an unconsidered action. Focus on the aspect of the behaviour that's upsetting you and just describe it without adding any emotion. Next, consider why that might arouse such anger or resentment in you. Find reasons that have got to do with you rather than with them. If you're inflamed, you're projecting something extra into the situation, something more than what's inherently there. 
and you won't know what that is until you do a little self-exploration. It's absolutely worthwhile. You can't get to the future while the past is hooking you. So how will you unhook? Look for what that projected material is really all about. Here are three possible processes that feed our projection. Number one is our unresolved personal history. An event might trigger our emotional baggage, unresolved stress or anger from a similar situation in our past. We all carry some emotional scars. Here are some examples. Your job requires that you deal professionally with someone who's abusing a child. Well, anyone would demand justice and protection for the child. But you are so distressed that you miss some important facts of the case. Has this situation triggered memories of abuse in your own childhood? Your boss criticises everyone's work. Nobody likes it, but you become particularly anxious and distressed. Did you face destructive criticism sometime in your past? Do they remind you of a teacher who really had it in for you? An intimate relationship breaks up and your distress and depression seems bottomless. Well, grief in this situation, that's quite natural. But you seem to be having an extreme reaction. What are you remembering? Abandonment by a parent during divorce or death? They're good candidates as a primary cause. If you didn't deal completely with your distress then, it's highly likely to resurface now. These examples give you some idea of the sorts of unconscious material you might need to go looking for if you're having an extremely emotional reaction during a conflict. The second process that might feed our projection is suppressed needs. You can become excessively inflamed when you haven't recognised that you have a need and that now it's not being met. Say when someone lets you down, you become unreasonably angry or deeply hurt. Perhaps a friend cancels an activity that you'd planned to do together. You're inflamed. Look inside. You can see all of a sudden how much that outing had actually meant to you. Is your need for companionship undernourished? Or here's another situation. Perhaps you're inflamed because someone else is taking credit for work that you've done. Are you underestimating your own need to be recognised? When we're unaware of the needs that are underlying a situation, we're unreasonably inflamed when they're not supported. The third factor that can feed our projections is unacceptable qualities or characteristics. Do you see in another person a quality that you would not allow in yourself? You might be projecting your own unacceptable qualities onto other people. We force many aspects of ourselves out of awareness in order to comply with the rules that were imposed on us in our upbringing. Anger, hatred, jealousy or destructiveness even vanity, pride, greed or selfishness are all very good candidates for suppression. Wherever you go, you'll meet exactly those qualities in the people that you deal with. And it will probably make you wild. 
Our work in dealing with our projections is to come to terms with those exact negative qualities that we've suppressed in ourselves. We need to notice that we do have them too, that we've learned to keep them in check. Only then do we have the chance to be informed rather than inflamed when someone else is expressing them without the careful disciplines that we've learnt. So what sort of things should we go looking for if we suspect we've been inflamed by qualities in the other person that we'd never permit in ourselves? Here's some examples. You feel alienated from someone who frequently explodes in anger. You yourself would never let loose in such a volatile way. Is it worth asking yourself how you deny or push away your own anger? Or alternatively, you're critical of someone who flaunts their sexuality. Are you jealous? And if so, what's that jealousy based on? Do you suppress your own sexuality? Or again, perhaps somebody speaks to you disrespectfully. You react with a curt remark. You don't think you're being unreasonable. But others say it's out of proportion. It's time to look within. If you have children of your own, they'll present you with hooks on which to hang your projections almost every day. Perhaps your teenager speaks rudely to you. You react with shadow material flaring up and then they quickly become aggressive and they cut you off. And it doesn't take much for them to feel alienated from you at this very crucial time of their lives. And their rebelliousness means that now you've got much less scope to influence the important values that they're right in the middle of developing. As parents, we need to be particularly alert to our personal issues and set them aside when dealing with our youngsters. Your unwillingness to accept your own good qualities can make you project those good qualities onto others. You put them up on a pedestal. The love person is idolised until the day that the scales of projection fall from your eyes. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against romantic love. I'm all for it. Just not the sort that comes from projection. So, whenever you're inflamed rather than merely informed by a situation, Consider your own projections onto it. These may be fed by some unresolved personal history or some suppressed needs that have just been obstructed or unacceptable qualities, qualities that you'd never allow yourself to express. It's always worth weeding the garden of our own mind, quite apart from considering what the other person may or may not have done. It will help us take charge of ourselves and respond more appropriately. If we can go further and treat each conflict as something we use for growth, we add meaning to all our major life events. Blame, resentment, regret, they all hold us back from taking this ultimate responsibility. Your learning might be as straightforward as recognising that you've contributed to a problem. Or you might begin to see a place where you don't consciously respect each aspect of yourself enough. Our life, and especially our conflicts, offer us opportunity after opportunity to find our hidden self. We have to see our limitations before we can move beyond them. 
Try this hot button exercise. Its aim is to explore your own projections and discover why you overreact to certain people. What hot buttons do they seem to trigger off in you? Something in their behaviour is not just information, something you wish they wouldn't do. You get inflamed. If you're inflamed, rather than just informed, you're projecting a personal issue onto this situation. Get clear about that and your response will become more appropriate. Whatever it is you need to fix about their behaviour, it's much better done without your overreaction. After you've listened to this bit of the audio, you might want to turn it off for a while and try it out. Imagine someone who might irritate you or upset you if you were with them for a long time. What if you were stranded on a desert island together? What hot buttons of yours are they very likely to trigger? The facts of how they behave are less important for this exercise than what we dump onto them from our own subconscious. You might choose someone that you work with or a person you live with, a close friend or a parent or a child. And you can make notes as you go. Here are the questions. Consider one quality of theirs or a particular way that they behave that sometimes gets on your nerves. Can you describe exactly what the problem about that is for you? What feeling does it arouse in you or what can't you do around them when they act that way? The trick here is to focus totally on your own reaction and name it. You might want to write down several thoughts until you get just the right one. Now look at why you feel that way. And it's not because the other person is right or wrong about what they do. Just choose reasons that have only got to do with you. Your answer is probably going to fall into one of these three processes that we've been discussing. So, your personal unresolved history a need that you have that seems to be squashed around them, or perhaps it's a quality or a way of behaving that you don't permit in yourself. What's your personal reason for this irritation? Next, summarise these thoughts into an I statement. Now, this statement's only for yourself. It's about you becoming more consciously aware of your own issues that are triggered around them. It's not for you to deliver to the other person. So here's a sample. I find it difficult to follow the rules. I can't block off my emotions and fall in with everyone else. I was controlled by my father and I can't stand it when anyone else tries to put boundaries on me. I have the desire to run. I must feel free. Take some time to construct your own I statement. And then consider, does it give you some new insights into yourself? Does it suggest you do things a bit differently? Does it change your attitude to this person, or at least to that sort of behaviour? Do you now feel a little bit softer, perhaps less judgmental towards them? Complete the exercise now by finding something you can acknowledge them for, something that makes you glad that they're in your life. 
whenever we're relating to someone else, we always do better when we pay at least as much attention to what is going well between us as well as what frustrates us. We're getting it right when we get these two things balanced. But it can be very hard to do unless we examine the personal issues that arise for us when we're around them. You can repeat this exercise with various people in your life, and particularly those that annoy you. If you're inflamed, rather than just informed, look within. If you're inflamed, there's always some work to do on yourself first before you get things out of proportion. When an issue we have just won't shift, what do we do? We all store many unresolved issues accumulated over our lifetime. They're locked away in our body. Even the traumas faced by our parents and grandparents have left their mark in our psyches. The big ones are passed on from generation to generation. Our own and our inherited issues become part of our own personal holding patterns and they're shaping our interactions in present time. They form the constellation of who we are, our particular personality. Of course, we try to get on with life as best we can and so we suppress old hurts and shove them down out of awareness. But that might mean that we're time bombs waiting for emotional discharge. If the current situation holds enough similarities to something painful in our history, old emotions can flood our awareness. They overwhelm reason and even common politeness. These strong emotions attached to our history feed into stories that we create about the current situation and take us a long way from current reality. Whenever the situation is ambiguous, we'll reference similar experiences to reduce confusion and find the similarities. Unacknowledged emotions misguide our perceptions and our behaviours, and out comes a defensive rebuke or an inflamed response. Are we able to just have it, feel it, and then move right along? Well, if we can, the situation hasn't triggered much of our backstory. However, when our emotions are profound, it's a profound invitation to turn within. Do we have the courage? And we won't always. But could we be willing to be willing? What would that mean? Well, perhaps we lean right into our wounded place, non-defended, open to where and who we are for now. Perhaps we come to terms with our limitations. We're not flogging ourselves or demanding that we change. We're owning our personal constellation of flows, resistances and sensitivities. We may hold a wound that will not heal and it guides us instead in directions that are safe and protective of our psyches. For example, if we've been traumatically uprooted in our lives, we may never again allow ourselves to reroute and really belong anywhere or with anyone again. I was traumatised around food as a child. I'd love to let it go, but it won't let go of me, at least not yet. These 
holding patterns are us. They have their own validity and we may not be ready and sometimes we'll never be ready to resolve this piece of the puzzle of all of who we are. So as we look deeply inside ourselves at a wounded, unresolved place, it may change and it may not. Perhaps our attention takes it one step further on its journey towards completion, but it can't take it any further. We know it's enough for today, and we just have to let that wound be. Sometimes the scar from a held trauma softens over time, but it may take many years to do so. The evolving over the years is then what's most important, allowing it to unfold at its own pace. Other people can help us be a witness on this journey if we can trust them enough. We'll need to know that they're willing to be with us where we are and not insist we move when we're just not ready. We'll need to know that they'll quickly back off when they've unintentionally trodden on our very tender places. We might need to remind them. Others will unwittingly trigger these scars we hold. Try not to build a big case against them when they do. Just respect your own fragilities, your own hidden hurts, and gently look within to know yourself a little better. Can we be an honouring witness for others too? Do we find another person very opinionated or too easily offended? Can we let most of it pass by? and honour them as a work in progress too? If we live with a teenager, we need to recognise that they're just at the very beginning of their road to self-acceptance. They're still caught in the moment by the pain of relating to their world. Can we accept a work colleague who one day is friendly and the next day snaps at us? They're dealing with inner troubles that have little to do with us, When my husband was willing to resolve, he didn't say anything about it. He'd just say, do you want a cup of tea? And I knew that the doors were open again between us. Can our willingness to resolve be an open door for others to come back into relationship with us when they're ready? When the other person's not willing to resolve... How will we manage that? For smooth resolution of conflict, both parties really need to be willing to resolve. It takes two to tango. We've discussed the ways that we can bring ourselves to that state of mind, but frequently your greatest challenge will be to guide the other person to that point too. Although you might quite understand that they have their own suppressed needs, unacknowledged personal history or unacceptable qualities, it'll be very rarely appropriate for you to point them out. So, to get a better response, provide a better stimulus. And consider these alternatives. Correct your part of the problem. When someone's projecting onto you, you probably have a part. How are you hooking their projection? To clean up your own act, it's always worth looking at what's behind someone's complaint about you. The important thing is to adjust what needs correcting while maintaining a sense of proportion. There's no value in punishing yourself with guilt because you've upset them. 
The largest part of their inflammation is their problem. You're just correcting your piece of it, the hook. Is there something that you'd like to apologise for? There's no need to grovel, but you may want to check if there's something that you'd be okay not to do again if you know it distresses them. Obviously, it's not the whole of the problem, but the apology might help them move on. Look at how you come across. Ask yourself these questions. How am I using my power? Do I disempower or empower them? Am I playing victim, persecutor or rescuer roles here? Did I offer clean choices or did I make some threats? Did I manage my own feelings first? Is my shadow in the way of resolution? Did I really listen to them or did I block the flow of empathy with something I said? Did I use charged language or did I use clean messages? Look at where misinterpretations seem to have occurred. Did we misinterpret each other's positions, motives, requirements, values or feelings? And how can I clarify the issues now? Do I need a mediator to help with this? Put yourself in their shoes. How might they be feeling? What could be their needs and concerns around this issue? Do they need to save face? What could make it worthwhile for them to want to resolve the issue? What needs of theirs might be met if it were resolved? Try a positive statement. For example, I'd really like to clear this up. How about you? Use it as a diffuser during conflict or as a re-opener when the atmosphere is calmer and the dust has settled. Discuss the mutual advantages of resolving the problem. What would make it more worthwhile for them to want to resolve it? Paint a picture of how it could be if you were both able to cooperate or get along well again. Have a chat about what you both want more of in the relationship. If they cannot participate, you'll have to consider whether they gain more from the problem than from the solution. And if that seems to be the case, you might need to distance yourself. Disengage and understand that you're not responsible for another person. Work towards your own resolution. Your changes may free the other person to change, but most importantly, your forgiveness frees you. Here's a summary. What's the payoff for hanging on to the problem? Would you rather be right or happy? If you're not ready, can you become willing to be willing to resolve? Your internal shift may come when you really acknowledge the pain underneath your anger and the anger underneath your pain. Your forgiveness is up to you alone. Your forgiveness frees you. Are you informed or inflamed? Have you been hooked by something that they said or did? What are you now projecting? Your own unresolved personal history? Your own suppressed needs? Or your own unaccepted negative qualities? What's influencing your strong reactions? Honour the fragile aspects of yourself.
We all hold emotional scars that won't heal, or at least not yet. We're all works in progress. The other person may also be hooked in by a conflict and locked into their unwillingness to resolve. If you want a better response, provide a better stimulus. Consider how you come across. Correct your part of the problem. Is there anything that you need to apologise for? Has something been misinterpreted? Can you offer or discuss a benefit in resolving the standoff? Remember, for things to change, first I must change. If you'd like more details on all of this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. You can download a transcript and explore our study notes on willingness to resolve. Our reminders on informed or inflamed are definitely worth a look. There's a free manual for trainers there too. And for ongoing reference, you might want to purchase the book, Everyone Can Win. It's the inspiration for this series. In this episode, we've explored how to get our emotional baggage out of the way. It concludes the personal skills that you need to be a good conflict resolver. But now it's time to harness up those skills with some very practical strategies. So in the next episode, we'll look at all about mapping a conflict so that all the issues are clear and out on the table. Press your play button for that one sometime soon. Perhaps subscribe to the series wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you're listening to, you could really help us spread the word if you leave us a review there and let your friends know about it too. Good conflict resolution skills might be just what they need right now.